welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and coming up on the show, we're going to talk about a couple of scandals that have recently hit the headlines, and what does that mean in America to American society, and what has the future of these type of scandals been? Now, they may not be the type of scandals that you're thinking about, but do stay tuned. That's coming up here in a little bit. But first, I want to uh, address a couple of responses that I got from our last podcast. Our last podcast, episode 142, had to do with pandemic amnesty, an article that was written by Emily Oster in The Atlantic, and you can go read it, theatlantic.com, or just internet search pandemic amnesty. And she was talking about how We should just let bygones be bygones. Now, Emily Oster herself in the article admits that she was a a pro-COVID protocol type of person and that she was pretty adamant against some of those people that didn't follow the same mindset and the same beliefs as her and other people. And she admits that some of the things that they thought about the protocols, they got wrong but that we should just let bygones be bygones. And amnesty is just a big pardon. We're just going to pardon people, and that's going to be it. No consequences, no admission of guilt, nothing. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, wait a minute. That can't be true. Now, I also prefaced my conversation. You can go back and listen to it. I'm not going to rehash the whole podcast because i got other things I want to talk about. But you can go back and listen to it. And I also referenced that our episode 66 of Two Steps Ed podcast has to do with forgiveness and my thoughts on forgiveness and how forgiveness is for us to forgive those who've done something against us, despite whether or not they come and ask for forgiveness. It's us unleashing that and letting it go. And so you can go to episode 66 and listen about forgiveness And so as I was reading this, so the article had nothing to do with forgiveness. So the conversation had nothing to do with forgiveness. The conversation had nothing to do with anything, really, except the article and these people wanting to be just let go. Nothing happened. Like, nothing happened, right? Bygones be bygones. And I was thinking about that, and so I started talking about it, and then the topic of reconciliation came up. And the whole point was that if you want to move forward, and you're somebody that was a violent person that was saying evil things about the other side, then you need to come clean. You need to come and apologize. And then we can come together and talk about the future. That's reconciliation. Forgiveness, I let it go. I've already forgiven you. I'm not worried about it anymore. If you want to come talk to me, you need to reconcile. Admit what you've done, ask for forgiveness, and then we can move forward. If you've done something to me, something as egregious as wishing something, an illness and death upon me, I want nothing to do with you. If you wish death upon me, and there's people out there that did personally and on social media, do you think I want to talk to you or associate with you unless you came and apologized for that? There's no way. And there's some people that I haven't talked to since. Maybe they've sent out little feelers to see how I feel if I want to talk to them. No. If you want to come talk to me and you wished me death during the pandemic and you were that vile, full of vitriol, anger, hatred, then you need to come apologize. We can reconcile. We can move forward. 
Now, I was always one that was choice. If you want to do it, go ahead. If you believe in that, go ahead. I disagree, but you want to do it, go ahead. The other side coming back to me was always, you need to do it or die. Mandates, forcing, pandemic of the unvaccinated. See, that was the difference. And then the response I get is from these holy rollers that come at me about the Bible and what Jesus would do and forgiveness and turning the other cheek. No, that's not what this is about at all. And for those of you coming at me with that and misusing scripture, if you want to use scripture, the Beth Moore, the Joel Olstein heresy that you're bringing to me, don't. Because I'm pretty confident in my abilities and understanding of scripture that I know what I am doing is right. You're not going to sit there and get away with wishing death upon me. It doesn't happen in decent society, except for now today, which is in decent society, where criminals are not being held responsible for the crimes that they do. But in recent uh, times before that change, you know, before the change when criminals were not held responsible for their actions, their crimes against humanity, prior to that, if a criminal did something, they were held responsible. They were put on trial. They went through a process. If they were proven guilty, there was a sentence. If there was a business arrangement or something else, it was a civil suit. So there was legal recourse. If you're in a relationship, there's that type of recourse. Maybe somebody cheated on somebody. Maybe you got back together. Maybe you didn't. If you got back together, I'm sure there was a reconciliation. You didn't just allow that person to come back in. You were like, hey, these are the parameters by which we're going to continue this. Just It's out there in decent society. You don't allow something so egregious to go unchecked and be like, oop, bygones. And the audacity of this person to come forth with this article and say, oh, let's just, you know, we learned our lesson. We didn't really know what was going on. No. You should have had, especially if you're somebody who was a college professor, supposedly you have a little bit more smarts, but you have logic, you have reason, you have common sense. And she even goes in the article so much as to say they had hand signals on their hikes, so if someone was coming down the trail, they could put their masks on. And at some point, the little six-year-old or four-year-old that she had was yelling at another four-year-old on the bridge, another young child yelling social distancing. See, that was indoctrination into the kids and their beliefs. And again, if they want to believe that, that's fine, but it starts to then be militant towards other people, and that's where it's wrong. So the conversation isn't about forgiveness. Episode 142 wasn't about forgiveness. It was about if these people, like Emily Oster writes, wants amnesty, if you want to move on, then you have to come clean about what you said and did. Now, some people might be just a, you know what? I never wished death upon anybody. I was never vigilant. I was never vile, mean. And it was just two opposite ends of the spectrum in belief. Hey, that's fine. You want bygones to be bygones? Go ahead. That's up to you. But if you sat there and wished death and illness upon me and you wished bad things to happen to me, there's no way in hell. I'm going to allow that to just slide and let bygones be bygones. That's a explicitive with emphasis, no. And that's what it was talking about. So don't bring your higher or holier than thou religion to me and tell me I need to turn the other cheek and that I need to forgive and forget. No, my forgiveness has already been done. I've forgiven them for what they've said. 
And in fact, I never really thought about it until this article came out. That's how much past it I'm gone. But now you're wanting a free pass. Would you allow, except for modern times, would you allow for somebody to have a free pass if they did harm to you? If a loved one died in a nursing home, in a hospital, and you couldn't be there, are you going to allow that to be just a free pass? If you couldn't celebrate one of life's celebrations, whether it be birth, graduations, anniversaries, holidays, are you going to let that just pass? If someone said to you, I hope you get COVID and die, are you just going to let that pass? No. It's about reconciliation. It's about coming back to the table if you want. And instead of bygones be bygones, it's, you know what, you need to confess what you did and apologize for it. If you then do that, then we can have conversation. Then you can talk to me about some of the things that you may think that I have done. I never wished you death. I never wished ill will. I may have thought your thinking was flawed. And maybe you were wrong in some of the thought process that you had and the way you went about doing it. But I never wished ill will, death, or anything like that. I was never vile or vitriol. And so let's have a conversation. But first, you got to come. And you got to make it correct. That's just how it is. And then once that happens, then we can move forward. And again, for those that are bringing the religious aspect of it, know your religion before you do it. Get your context straight. Don't bring that stuff to me because I'm not going to sit there and allow that to even happen. And because there was a few responses, instead of just going to each individual person, since my comments were made on the podcast, so to speak, on the record, here's my response. And so that's what that episode was about. So if you want to know what I'm about, episode 66, about forgiveness, I think there's a couple other episodes along the way where we talk about it. Just go back and listen to the podcast. Everything that you need to know about me is there. But episode 142 about pandemic amnesty had nothing to do about forgiveness. It was talking about how somebody over there and a side of belief, a thought process, an ideology was so severe in their thinking that they wished death and bad things upon people. And they kept people from doing stuff, closing businesses, losing relationships, not being there with loved ones. I can go on and on and on. And now you just want bygones to be bygones and have no accountability for the actions and the thoughts and the things that you did? No way. So that's what that was about. And so that was the whole idea of episode 142. So keep your heresy to yourself. Go talk to somebody else about it. I don't need to. If you want to have a serious conversation about the religious aspect side of it, I'm open for that too. I'm not going to turn down conversation. But if you're somebody that wished me death and you want to get back talking with me, you know what to do. I've just said it right there. And then we can talk. Now, what I really wanted to talk about after getting that off my chest, scandals. We're full of scandals in America. We've got an election season going on and we're completing the election season actually and We've got, well, when you say election season, it's always election season because once the midterms are over, now you're talking about 2024, right? And so you've got during these election seasons, these campaigns, everybody's bringing out all kinds of scandals that the opponent has done to try to make them look bad so people wouldn't vote for them. Then you've got scandals in Hollywood. You've got scandals in the banking business or the financial district. I mean, how many Ponzi schemes were out there? You've got uh, relationship scandals, 
with people. You've got uh, anywhere. You name it, there's a scandal in that type of environment. And sports is no different. Before we get to the, the meat of it, the scandals that I want to point out, let's just take a trip down memory lane. And some of the sports scandals that have happened over the years. You might go back to uh, the 1919 Black Sox blowing or fixing the World Series. And this would be under gambling. Gambling scandals in sports. Maybe Pete Rose, when he bet on baseball, was banned for life. Still banned for life. Although now he's admitted that he did bet on baseball. Or what about uh, the NBA uh, referee, Tim Donahue, that supposedly did some gambling against NBA games, although he may or may not have bet against games or teams that he refed in, but he basically gave insider trading information, so to speak. There is a um, Netflix documentary on Tim Donahue, and as you, if you watch it, and I don't really recommend things, so you decide for yourself, but it's actually pretty interesting. It gives a lot of inside information. Referees know a lot of stuff about the inside of the game. Players, their moods, what they're going through. They talk to each other. They know what other teams are going through. The NBA referees know a lot, and maybe that's why they get away with a lot. And it was revealed in that documentary. But, um, but you have scandals like gambling scandals. You also have the New England Patriots, full of scandal, right? They had Spygate, where they were spying on their opponents and then got caught, and then Bill Belichick was like, oh, I misunderstood uh, that part of the rule. Not really sure how you misunderstand that filming other people's practices, filming other people's hand signals, filming other people's stuff in an effort to gain an advantage over them when they don't know about it. So that was Spygate. And then you had, of course, uh, Deflate Gate, where uh, Tom Brady allegedly deflated the balls on a cold day in the playoffs or something so that he could have a better grip on the ball. And he actually served a suspension for that. Um, I think the Patriots were fine for Spygate. So I think these allegations were proven to be true. Of course, you have the uh, other money scandals, like Reggie Bush. From USC, supposedly taking money from boosters. And there's many, many, many college uh, sports that were all about, you know, taking money from boosters. You think back to SMU, their football team, when they got the death penalty, lost football for a couple of years, never really recovered. Uh, USC suffered major sanctions because of that uh, Reggie Bush incident, including loss of uh, vacated wins, I guess you can call it, and loss of trophies. And Reggie Bush had to give the Heisman Trophy and so forth. You've got the steroid scandals of Major League Baseball. Many people, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, all, uh, I think, Rafael Palmero, all involved in that in one way or another. What about the Tour de France? Lance Armstrong winning, what, seven times before it was found out that he was doping? Floyd Landis, teammate? Tour de France, again, another guy doping. Remember back in the 80s, maybe 70s and 80s, when the Eastern Bloc countries in the Olympics, they were the dopers. They were the bad ones. I mean, you think about Rocky, whichever one it was, three or four, when he's fighting the Russian, and the Russian's doping while uh, Sylvester Stallone's character is out there in the woods doing the, uh, training the old way, the old-fashioned way, the hard way, the blue-collared way. 
And now America caught up and everyone dopes. Marion Jones, I think, went to prison over it. Uh, ben Johnson, a Canadian runner. So the steroid scandals were huge. And then you had um, other types of cheating. Like, for example, you had cork bats. Sammy Sosa was involved not only in the steroid scandal, but in cork bats. Albert Bell had a corked bat. Um, there was like a pine tar incident with a, a pitcher from the Minnesota Twins. And it was the Emery board. Uh, Phil Negro, I believe it was, one of the Negro guys. And then there was pictures with stuff on their um, body parts to get better grips and things on the ball, which reminded me of a movie that I like, and that's Major League. Not too many people like the Major League franchise. I actually enjoy it. I think they're funny. I think Bob Euclid does a great job as the announcer. And um, I just enjoy baseball movies anyways, and so to have a comedic baseball movie about a terrible team becoming good is always something that's kind of fun to watch. But I always remember this scene from the movie, and it talks about doctoring up a baseball, and it talks and it has an old pitcher who's kind of on the sunset years of his uh, career and a young fireball thrower that has a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, which is Charlie Sheen's character, Wild Thing. And uh, this is their exchange. What's that shit on your chest? Crisco. Bardol. Vagisil. Any one of them will give you another two to three inches drop on your curveball. Of course, if the umps are watching me close, I just rub a little jalapeno inside my nose, get it running, and if I need to load the ball up a little, just wipe my nose. You put snot on the ball? I haven't got an arm like yours. I got to put anything on it I can find. Someday you will, too. Putting snot on the ball. That's probably taken from a real-life experience somewhere. But cheating is going on, has been going on in sports, whether it's been steroids, whether it's been putting something on the ball, substances. You know, there's been pine tar on bats, pine tar on balls, pine tar on gloves. People have found ways to cheat when it comes to um, performance, whether it's athletic enhancement or whether it's creative, I guess if you want to call it creative, creative cheating. What do I mean by that? Well, in Spain or the Spanish, how could I put it? In 2000, the Spain Paralympic basketball team, Paralympics are people with disabled bodies and they play basketball sitting in wheelchairs. Well, they, I guess, won the gold medal, if I remember. And it turned out that none of them had any disability. And so they won the gold medal in the Paralympics and none of them were para, like real para-Olympians. They were able-bodied people that were pretending, which kind of reminds me of the movie The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville pretending to be disabled so that he could win the Special Olympics to try to win the prize money so that he could pay for surgery so another guy could get his fingers put back on, which is going to be relevant to what we're going to talk about coming up here shortly. So you had that, able-bodied people competing in the Paralympics, basketball, winning the gold. You had the Boston Marathon runner in 1980, I believe her name was Rosie Ruiz, where uh, she jumped on the subway, won the Boston Marathon, and the only reason why she got caught 
was because it was a 20-minute. She, like, beat her best time by, like, 20 minutes. And so they got skeptical, and then, lo and behold, they found out that she took the subway. And there's been others. There's scandals everywhere that you can think of and some that we didn't even get to. And I'm going to get to the reasons why people cheat because I think I've got a couple theories on it. But here are the latest scandals, if you can believe it or not. The chess world. One of my, one of my uh, favorite songs in life is uh, Murray Head, and it's One Night in Bangkok. It's from the uh, musical Chess, and he talks about chess and chess players. But the world of chess, scandal-ridden. Apparently, uh, Magnus Carlsen is the number one ranked player in the world. And so he accused uh, another opponent, some guy by the name of Hans Niemann, of cheating. Now, I think these are done, like, online. I don't think they meet in um, face-to-face because it looked like this was online, but nevertheless. Um, So Carlsen, this lowly-rated player, beat the number one guy, the guy that had won 53 matches in a row, and beat him in a competition. So then the next time these two guys got together, the world number one guy retired, wouldn't play him. And everyone was shocked, sent shockwaves through the chess world. And so uh, the pawns, I guess, they went hiding in fright. And it turned out that this guy, Magnus Carlsen, the number one rated chess player, was accusing Hans Niemann of cheating. And so then I guess chess.com or the chess body, the ruling chess body, decided to do some investigation into whether or not this guy could or could not be cheating. And then it gets scandalous as they're talking about how potentially the rumors of using sex toys for cheating because of the vibrations would indicate to the cheater, in this case, I guess the lowly rated Hans Niemann, how to move or something. And again, there were some irregularities in the, kind of like with the subway runner, she bested her time by 20 minutes. That raised red flags. I guess chess players have a certain way they play chess, certain moves that they do, um, patterns, if you want to call it that. And so this other lowly rated chess guy was doing things outside of his pattern, and that kind of alerted people as to, ooh, something might not be right. So chess.com does a 72-page report. How do you get 72 pages out of chess cheating? But you do. I like chess. I'm not making fun of it. I like chess. I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy it. I have fun with it. Um, And it basically came out and supported the claims that this dude was cheating, probably. Now, they didn't really have any smoking gun, but apparently this guy was cheating. Now, the guy had admitted that he cheated at the age of 12 and, again, at the age of 16, whatever that's worth. And now, to make things even more grandiose, is that the guy who was accused of, uh, accused of cheating, and probably, according to chess.com, did cheat, or there's evidence pointing to it. Now, he is suing for defamation, slander, libel, on and on and on because his name has been dragged through the mud because of the cheating scandal. So apparently the chess world has been rocked by cheating. 
not to one-up the chess world, but what about the world of fishing, fishing tournaments? In Cleveland, Ohio, apparently there was a fishing tournament, and this made major news. Two men charged with stuffing fish with weights, I guess weights wrapped in like fish fillets or something so that you can't see the weights. And so they'd catch the fish, they'd stuff them, load them up, and then when they got weighed, the fish weighed more than what it really did. And they would win. And apparently they won like three major championships in a row before they were finally caught because somebody couldn't believe the luck they were having. So weighted sinkers, which are the the things that you, the, like the weighted balls that you put at the end of a fishing line that drops it into the water. So you have the bobber on top. Well, maybe this is different, but my day of fishing, you had the bobber on top. And then you had the line that dropped in with the hook. And then you had the weights, the sinkers that would sink the hook to where you would catch the fish. I did that way because I like to just sit there and not do anything and let the fishing rod do it. Now, then I got, as I got older, there was fly fishing where you're constantly throwing out the lure into the, um, into the water trying to catch fish. So however they did it, whatever they did, or however they caught their fish, they took these sinkers, these weighted balls, and they stuck in the fish. And they won lots of money, lots of prizes. I think they run, uh, won a new fishing boat at one point, and everyone was kind of shocked. And again, they rose to the top. They were the number one fishing people. Then apparently at this tournament in Ohio, someone was like, something's not right. And they opened up the fish. There was weights, uh, kind of pushing and shoving. Mini brawl broke out. Then they went back and tried to, uh, I guess, somehow determine how long they'd been cheating, which I don't think they ever really did. But in this particular instance, they were caught red-handed. And then they were indicted, indicted for cheating, for a cheating as a charge. Attempted grand theft because the prize money was pretty high. Uh, having criminal tools, not really sure what the criminal tools were, if it's the weighted balls or if it's the extra fillets. I think they were fishing for walleye. And then unlawful ownership of a wild animal, which, again, not really sure what that charge is. But, again, some serious charges in the fishing world with the scandal. So you have chess. You have fishing. Is anything sacred in America anymore? We just talked about all the scandals in baseball. There's scandals in football, scandals in basketball, the NBA. Not sure if I mentioned or if it's coming up in my notes, but uh, in the Tim Donahue thing, they talk about how like um, David Stern was in on a bunch of this stuff. There's scandal about uh, game six of a Western Conference finals with the Lakers and the Kings and how the officiating went against the Kings, allowed the Lakers to win, and how like the NBA wants certain teams in the NBA finals for ratings and money and games have to go so many. This is all things that have been speculated for years, but comes out in this documentary, how uh, maybe the, the draft lottery at one point was fixed and rigged so the New York Knicks get the number one um, pick, and they thought maybe the envelope back in the day, they used envelopes, and David Stern could feel that the frozen envelope was the Knicks, and so they won. Now they do the ping pong balls operated by a third party. So all this allegations of alleged cheating going on in all sports. Um, Hockey really hasn't, I don't think, they've had individual incidences, but I don't think, I think the only one I can really think of was Marty McSorley back in, uh, 
whatever it was, when Wayne Gretzky was with the Kings and they were in the finals against the Canadians and his stick curvature was too uh, too much. So we got uh, busted for that. But um, but you understand that. You understand that, you know, people are trying to cheat. But, like I said, is there anything sacred anymore? Son, what do you mean? The latest scandal. Cornhole. Baggate. The top-ranked team in Cornhole. I guess there's an American Cornhole League with American Cornhole Championships. You can see it on TV, sports channels. They were accused during the sports championships, I guess, the league championship or the world championship, whatever, uh, of using illegal bags. The claim was that the bags were smaller than regulation, which I guess proved to be somewhat true. And I'll tell you why somewhat in a minute. Now, bags are supposed to be six by six. It's like a bean bag, six by six. 16 ounces. That's regulation according to the American Cornhole League. So, um, and again, we're talking cornhole, not corn Julio. So apparently the bags looked to be not legal. And so the other team made the accusation and the officials stepped in and ruled that, yes, the bags aren't legal. Well, then the team, the number one team that was accused, they accused back. And so the officials checked the other team's bags, and they were deemed illegal. So everybody's using illegal bags. Kind of like the movie Maverick. I don't know if you uh, remember seeing that movie, Maverick with Mel Gibson. They're at the end, and uh, Cooper's supposed to have the security, and the commandant says, everybody's got a gun when nobody's supposed to have a gun. Here, everybody's using illegal bags. However, officials ruled that it was not intentional and let everybody carry on. So everybody's cheating, but it's unintentional. So now they dig into it a little bit more, and you find out that you manipulate bags by doing things to them. You can um, boil the bag or wash them in vinegar, and they become pliable, and that's gaining an edge. Um. And there's other things that you can do. I won't bore you with the particulars. You can look it up because it's very mundane stuff. But, yeah, there's ways you can manipulate the bags, make them lighter, make them more rigid, whatever you need to do to make them slide into the hole or make them drop into the hole. By the way, in case you didn't know, there's 155,000 members of the American Cornhole League. They hosted 22,000 events on the average in years past, and of course it increases every year. And top players, this is where the cheating comes in. Top players can earn upwards of a quarter of a million dollars a year. Chess, big money. Fishing, big money. Prizes, uh, winnings. And we'll get into all that some more. So again, why would you want to cheat in cornhole? $250,000 reasons as to why. So we've gone from random drug, uh, random drug tests now to uh, random bag checks, and we're not at the airport. Now, when you do cornhole, I guess there's no referees. So now they're thinking about having to bring in a referee in some of these big tournaments to monitor everything, which reminds me of the time that I was playing cornhole in Mississippi. 
Now, cornhole for me was always something you kind of did in the backyard. I never really played it much, but it was something you did in the backyard, maybe um, 4th of July, barbecue, whatever. Yeah, throw the bean bag. Uh, you know, have an adult beverage, toss a bean bag. So it wasn't until I go to Mississippi, I go there, I went there a couple years ago to watch baseball, Old Miss and Vanderbilt, two powerhouses. In fact, Old Miss just recently won the College World Series um, play. Okay. And so um, afterwards, driving around, looking for a place to go hang out because the game was earlier on a Saturday. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday game, or weekend series. And so um, looking for some place, I find the place. The place is actually pretty cool. It was like this restaurant, a barbecue restaurant, and then you had this huge outside grassy area, and then you had what was equivalent to like a, a barn, and the the bar was in the barn, and then you had like cornhole, you had ping pong, you had um, other games that you can play in this big grassy outdoor area. So I'm tossing the bag, and some other people come up and want to join us, and they say, hey, you guys want to play cornhole? I'm like, okay, fine, why not? Let's throw the bag together. Now, I'm just a casual player. Like I said, I'm having a beer. I'm tossing a bag. That's about the extent of it, having conversation. So these guys come up. They're Mississippi fans. They're, uh, now, Mississippi is in Oxford. They come from uh, Memphis, drive down to see the games. And so we're playing, and then all of a sudden, the guy next to me is like, he's trying to become hardcore. And I didn't even really realize what the scoring was. I'm, I was thinking, you know, kind of like horseshoes, uh, you know, if it's close to it, within a horse, you get a point. If it's lean, it's two points. If you get a ring, it's three, something like that. So I don't even really know how you score on this thing. And he's getting all serious. And so I'm like, whatever. And then um, he, I, I said the score was something. He asked me, what, what, what score do you have? I'm like, I just made something up because I wasn't paying attention. I'm like, 17-16. Uh, he's like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he starts arguing. So then he asks the guy I was with on the far end and his buddy, which is on the far end, because they're the one that were tossing towards us, what the score was. They have no idea. They don't care because they're just talking and, again, having a beer and hanging out. And so it gets really serious, this conversation, and the game gets heightened because this one guy's taking this thing serious. I'm like, dude, we're in a bar in Oxford, Mississippi, and we're not even in a bar. We're, like, in some outside backyard of this barbecue restaurant playing cornhole. Let's just chill, have some fun. Um, and when, of course, everybody at the place was at the baseball game earlier and he got all serious. I'm like, dude, man, we need to chill out. So the game ended and they're like, want to play again? I'm like, no, we're going to go do something else, anything else to get away from you. And so, um, whatever we did, ping pong, whatever, but I guess people get serious even when it's not serious. I know people do it at tailgating before football games and stuff, but it's like, dude, people get serious about their cornhole. And so got me thinking, why, why is it that people cheat why do they get excited why do they want to do this now i got some reasons here but first think back to lance armstrong lance armstrong seven time tour de france champion and then he got caught doping and denied it for a long time and then finally went on the oprah winfrey show and had this confession was it a big deal to you did it feel wrong at the time Mm -hmm. no it did not even feel wrong no scary did you feel bad about it no even scarier did you feel in any way that you were cheating no the scariest so at the time he didn't think he was doing anything wrong he didn't feel bad about it 
nor did he consider it cheating. That was his mindset. That was his mentality. That what he was doing wasn't wrong. And there's many people that when they finally admit to doing something wrong, they have their their many reasons. But I thought it was insightful that when he talked about it, not only did he talk about it as if it was, yeah, it's not wrong. And that's scary to think that it's not wrong. He didn't think he was doing anything bad, which he said was scarier. And then he didn't even consider it cheating, which he said was the scariest. He didn't even consider it cheating. He had no morality into it. So why would they cheat? Well, the obvious reason that we've talked about a little bit or alluded to is money. Winnings. If you win, you equal money up to $250,000 a year if you're a cornhole player. Now imagine what that is in possibly chess, possibly fishing. I mean, fishing, these guys do it because they love it. So if you can get paid to do it, why not? Uh, If you win, not only do you get better salaries and contracts, you know, obviously there might be events where like if you're fishing or cornhole or whatever, you win prize money, right, for that event. But if you talk about some team sports, or some uh, baseball players, basketball players, people like that, you know, performance enhancing, you've got better salaries that come your way, better numbers, better statistics equal better salaries. You get more endorsement deals. People want you to promote their product, and they'll pay top dollar for you to promote their product. So the better you are, the more money you make. And then also there's bonuses, For example, if you make the All-Star Game, maybe you get a bonus. If you win the World Series, maybe you get a bonus. If you achieve so many accomplishments throughout the year, maybe if you end with a 300 batting average, hit 30 home runs, win so many games as a coach, whatever it might be, there's bonuses added on, incentives to do this. And so, of course, you've got money being the obvious reason why people cheat. And then, of course, there's status. Status is another reason. We are so obsessed in this day and age with who is the greatest of all time. Some argue Tom Brady is the greatest of all time because he has, what, seven uh, Super Bowls, championships? And yet we're seeing the greatest of all time completely unravel in front of our eyes this year right now, which is sad. But people want to be known as the greatest or one of the greatest or one of the top Whatever of the decade, the century, top shortstop, top quarterback, top receiver, all this team, all that team, all NBA team, you know, people want to be remembered for their accomplishments. And so they can do that by having the status. They want to be the Heisman Trophy winner. Although Reggie Bush had nothing to do with what he was found or alleged to have done and was alleged guilty of doing had nothing to do with performance enhancing, so I find that a little odd in college football, a little hypocritical that you penalize somebody for money when everybody's been doing it, and it's coming out more and more that people are, allegedly. But again, Reggie Bush was one of the greatest college football players ever because, despite what people say, because he didn't do performance enhancing drugs, he did his natural ability, at least according to accusations and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah. So you've got status. Everybody wants to be the best. What about this? Okay, think about this. And this really is catered towards everybody. 
including, okay, if you're talking about younger players, not really sure how younger players, like, maybe would want to cheat. Maybe steroids get bigger, stronger. But little leagues, you know, you always try to find ways to cheat in little league because, you know, you want to win. Why is that? Maybe try to manipulate the rules or try to work the umpires. You know, whatever it might be at those younger ages, you don't have really the financial incentives. Sure, you might have a college scholarship. But in baseball, for example, high school baseball, college scholarship really isn't a whole lot there. There's some. But even some of the best players really don't get the college scholarships like football and basketball. But why would it that some of these maybe younger teams and some of these younger coaches, yeah, they want their kid to, to do well, get to that best high school or that best program. You know, so the status and all that that comes with it. But what about the emphasis on winning? Win at all costs. The pressure to win. You don't want to be a disappointment. Winning is a way of life. Winning gets you out of your current situation. Winning can get you out of poverty, can get you out of a rough lifestyle. There's a lot of people, like you look at the Dominican Republic, maybe even Cuba, places like that, where they use athletics to try to get them out of poverty, out of those conditions that they're living in. So they use athletics. So winning at all costs, a pressure. Remember Danny Almonte? He was the kid in the uh, Little League World Series, and he was turned out that he was three years older than what he was supposed to be and what he claimed to be, and he was mowing people down as a pitcher. Win at all cost. You think about soccer. We don't really hear too much, but soccer is a way out for a lot of people around the world to get out of poverty. Have you seen the amount of money that some of these soccer players make in the amount of money in soccer or football? We got World Cup coming up. That's going to be fun to watch, but there's a lot to it. Age. You know, we heard that clip. From a major league, you know, the guy's putting all kinds of stuff on the ball to get two to three inches drop on his curveball because he's getting older, doesn't have the arm. You can't keep up with the young athletes. You want to keep playing. So you do whatever you can to try to compete, stay relevant, because you just want to play one more day in the sun. And they believe they won't get caught, like Lance Armstrong said. He didn't think it was wrong. He didn't think he was cheating. He didn't think he was doing anything bad. These people are coddled. So they think they're invincible. They're pampered. They're spoiled, if you really want to talk about it. When they get caught, they lie about it instead of just coming clean. It takes a long time for these athletes to come out and come clean about it. You know? And then think about this. Alex Rodriguez. He ended up having to miss, I believe it was the 2014 season because he was uh, linked to Balco and the steroids when he was with the Texas Rangers. And so he eventually admitted it, and this is what he had to say. When I arrived in Texas in 2001, uh, I felt uh, an enormous amount of pressure. I felt like I had all the weight of, of the world on top of me, and I needed to perform and perform at a high level every day. Um, Back then, it was a different culture. Um, it was very loose. Uh, I was young. I was stupid. Um, I was naive. And, and I wanted to prove to everyone that, you know, I was worth um, 
you know, and being one of the greatest players uh, of, of, of all time. And uh, I, did, I did take a banned substance. And, um, you know, for that, uh, I'm very sorry and deeply regretful. So, again, young, naive, stupid, the typical type of stuff that you hear. But what else did you hear in there? He wanted to be known as one of the greatest of all times. He felt the pressure. He had gotten a big contract, wanted to live up to that contract. And so he felt like he needed to do something, at least in that clip, about it. Steroids was his way, supposedly. Uh, he felt the weight of the world was on his shoulders. Had a higher calling. So think about this. He had the pressure, okay? The pressure to perform because of a big contract, lots of money riding on him. Wanted to demonstrate that he is one of the greatest of all time. He wanted to be the best. He felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. He had a lot of expectations. And that's what it was about. And so that's why we see in some of these reasons why. You can see that maybe initially it might not be about money. It might just be about status. You're a young kid. You're a young athlete. You want to perform. You want to be accepted. You're still trying to prove yourself. You've got people with high expectations from you wanting you to do well, and you need that edge. There's an emphasis on winning. Hey, we brought you here or we're investing our time, effort, money, energy into you because we want to win. I mean, in the coaching ranks, isn't that what it is all the time? I mean, recently, University of Kansas, I think they put uh, Bill Self, the head coach for the basketball team, on a four-game suspension to start the season because of some infractions. Coaches looking to skirt the issue when it comes to recruiting and getting players. Because you want to win. There's the pressure to win. You don't want to be the coach that leads your team or your program that has historically been a championship program into mediocrity. you got to keep it going. How do you get the players? How do you keep them coming? You know, Blue Chips, movie with Nick Nolte. Again, don't recommend movies, but something you may want to check out kind of talks about this. A coach doesn't want to have boosters pay for players. But the pressure, the demand to get these top-rated players to come play for him, he ultimately gives in and caves and then regrets it. And it goes through that whole process of experiencing that. And then once they get there, once they reach that elite status, then what do they do? They feel invincible. They don't even think they're doing wrong. They don't even believe that what they're doing is bad, and they don't even consider it cheating. So what do we do in life? So again, you've got, you know, doping and steroids and baseball, the Olympics. Uh, you've got, you know, like I said, Barry Bonds, uh, A-Rod, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Ben Johnson, Marion Jones, you know, Floyd Landis, Lance Armstrong. It goes on and on and on. You know, people that are cheating. Uh, you think about teams, you know, the Astros in the World Series. Congratulations to them. They just pitched a no-hitter, combined no-hitter. Only the second no-hitter in baseball's World Series history. Uh, Don Larson's perfect game, the only one. But again, sign-stealing allegations. Pete Rose, betting on baseball, the Black Sox. Again, the NBA, like I mentioned, uh, especially coming from that Tim Donahue uh, show or that documentary, alluding to some things, manipulations and people in the know. 
And, uh, you know, again, remember when Chris Paul and the trade to the Lakers was nixed? Uh, the NFL, all the scandals. I mean, it goes on and on. And now we have things like cornhole. We have chess. We have fishing. What's next? Axe throwing? Darts? Maybe we mess with golf? I mean, when does it end? I don't think it will. Why won't it end? Because of the money? Because of the fame? The stature? All the stuff that comes with it. And so what we can learn from this, from the sports world, and this is what it comes down to, what we can learn from the sports world, we can apply in real life. If you're in business, what are you doing? Are you cheating on your taxes? Are you cheating business partners? Are you cheating clients? Remember Ponzi schemes, the pressure to get more people to give you money because you have to pay off these people and it just keeps growing and growing. And so you do more and more crazy things. What about investing? Trying to invest in Wall Street, how the market now is, and you're trying to figure out what to do. Maybe you're a teacher and you've got an incredible load on your plate. Maybe you're in special ed and you're trying to stay above water. Are you really being honest with your students and the parents? Or are you just, yeah, your kid's fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's going great when it's really not. I mean, these, these are some things that we could check. Sure, our motives might not be financial. Teachers don't get paid much compared to the rest of the world, compared to, like, the sports world, I should say. Um, but maybe you want more time. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're a young teacher and you don't want to get fired. Maybe you want to get tenured. Maybe there's other motivations that do lead to some financial things. Testing, cheating in school. You didn't put the time in, and so you're going to cheat on a test. You're going to plagiarize because you want that degree because that degree then will open doors for you that you might not ever see or ever realize until you got that degree. Relationships. Whatever the cheating might involve in relationships hiding money from people, going out with other people, whatever it is. There's a lot of things that we can learn because in the end, when it's found out, nothing ever good comes from it. Nothing ever good comes from these scandals, comes from cheating. You know, if you can lay your head on a pillow at night and know that you did an honest day's work, that you have nothing to worry about, nothing's going to come back, bite you in the ass, that's probably a really good day. You still might be struggling financially. You still might be hurting. You still might have some issues that you have to address the next day. But if you know you didn't cheat, you didn't scam, you acted honestly, that's something that's important. And that's something that we don't do anymore. People don't, the handshake, remember? It's on a handshake. We don't do the handshake anymore. Nobody can trust the handshake or the verbal commitment. Nobody can trust the verbal commitment. No one fesses up or owns their mistakes, which kind of loops back to what we talked about with the pandemic amnesty. They just want to be, oh, nothing really happened. Bygones is bygones. Live and learn. Let's move forward. But no, there's consequences to that. There's consequences to cheating. There's consequences to the things that we do. And when those consequences are negative, we try to skirt the issue and explain it. And you can hear a little bit of that in uh, Alex Rodriguez when he talks about it was the culture or the times were different. 
doesn't excuse what you did. There's other people that didn't do it. There's other people that played and performed honestly. They hit the gym. They did the work. They didn't have to rely on cheating. They didn't need the shortcut. You know, we've heard it time and time again from different people. There was the mama mentality. Kobe, we played it before at a clip where he talks about, you know, you can get up about 8 a.m., 9 a.m., and you can go work out at 11, and then you can go home and you can kind of recover, and then you go back out at 4, and then you go home, have dinner, and have your night, and you've done two workouts. Or you can get up at 4 in the morning, and you go work out at 6, maybe 6 to 8. Then you go home and you take your break, you recover, and you can go work out from 11 to 1. Then you go home and you recover, and then you go back and you work maybe 3 to 5. And then you go do one more workout, seven to nine. Now you've gotten four workouts done while the other people are doing two. And now those two extra workouts or those four workouts a day over the course of time, look how much better you're going to get. So it's a mentality. Didn't have to cheat, just work harder. Had a long, uh, long, his longevity, 20 years. Even overcame some uh, injuries to his Achilles and stuff. Think about Nolan Ryan. The longevity he had in his career and what his regiment was like late in career. You might want to look that up and see what he did. Read about him because he had longevity. What was it, like seven no-hitters? And some of them came late in life. He wasn't putting whatever the stuff was in that movie clip that we talked about. He wasn't putting snot on the ball. He was working hard to stay on top of his game. And so whatever you do in life, you got to think about that. Got to think about what is it, what are your motivations? I guess it comes down to motivations. You know, motivations and mindset. Are your motivations going to be pure or are your motivations going to be dishonest? Are those dishonest motivations, are they legit? Like, are you feeling pressure? Are you feeling the weight of the world and you have no one to talk to? That's why you need to have people around you, build a support group around you so you can talk to people and be like, you know what? I feel the weight of the world. I feel this pressure on me. I'm thinking about doing this. And they could intervene and be like, no, that's a bad decision. You don't want to make that type of decision in, in your mindset, in your frame of mind. We need to switch it up. Let's work together to change your mindset, to get perspective. And then we can make decisions. That's why you can't go it alone. That's why if you're around people that are doing steroids, you're going to think it's no big deal. I'm sure other people that Lance Armstrong knew, whether in the cycling world or other world, because I think he was linked to Balco, um, that uh, lab in San Francisco, but he probably knew some other people. Jose Canseco wrote a couple books about the steroids in baseball. I think I think he might have been the one that introduced it to the baseball world in the manner that which it did. I'm not sure. But uh, Alex Rodriguez was also instrumental in bringing it from team to team. Um, you know, but um, the people you're around, how are they conducting business? So Lance Armstrong probably knew other people doing it. Didn't think it was wrong. Didn't think he was doing anything bad. Didn't think he was cheating. And so he went about his business until he got caught. So what's your mindset? What's your motivation? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to be honest? Are you trying to cheat the system? Can you lay your head down at night on that pillow knowing that you did a good, honest day's work? Or are you going to be worried about the ramifications of something that you did because it wasn't quite right? 
it was in that gray area. Not really sure if it's right or wrong, but you know, we're going to skirt the boundaries and see if we can get away with push them a little bit more. And then we get away with it. So we push it a little bit more. Then we get away with it. So we push it even further until finally we cross the boundary. And now we've gone too far past the point of no return. It's difficult in this day and age because people want the fame. They want the success. They want the money. They want everything that comes with winning, winning in business, winning in life, winning in relationships. We want it all. Sometimes we might not be able to get it because we don't have the natural tools and ability to achieve it. We don't have the personality. We don't have whatever it is that is required. And so therefore we can't quite reach it. So now we look to cheat our way there. Something to think about. This is Two Steps Ahead podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Hey, yeah, uh, you can email the show at uh, TWO, Two Steps Ahead podcast at gmail.com if you want to respond to something. Check out our website. Our website is radiowarp.com. That's radio, W A R P, radiowarp.com. You can click on the Two Steps Ahead podcast logo, and our shows will pop up. You've got SoundCloud, which is the audio portion of the show, and you can actually download and take the shows with you on the go. We have a video portion that right now is linked to, I think, YouTube, but it's also, uh, we got it on Rumble, so we got it in a couple places. Um, but you can watch the videos. You can also go to our Instagram page at TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we put up the show, and then we put up clips and highlights of the show. There's a link tree link in the bio that will take you to different places. Um, a swag shop. Holidays are coming. If you want to buy somebody a unique gift and you don't know what to get them, you can always get them a Two Steps Ahead podcast. Uh, merchandise, drinkware, T-shirts, hoodie season, uh, teddy bears, which for some reason I kind of like. Um, but again, you can also uh, listen to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Maybe Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Google Podcasts. Uh, so we're pretty easily available to find. You can just do an internet search. TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, we pop up. Hey, Surrey, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, play TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. And our latest issue, our latest podcast, it's not a printed thing, but the latest podcast episode will pop up and play. You should try it out. It's pretty cool. And then, um, you know, tell a friend if you think it's beneficial, if you enjoy it, maybe you let someone know. If you tell one person, then they tell one person, and then they tell one person, then maybe we can grow the show and reach some people that need to hear this and talk about it. Um, if there's somebody that you think would be a good guest for the show, send me an email at TWO2StepsHeadPodcast at gmail.com or send me a DM on Instagram. That's fine, too. Um, but again, think about it. How are you conducting life? You conducting it honestly so you can sleep well at night or are you being sketchy and tossing and turning at night? How's your conscience? Is it speaking to you? Two steps ahead podcast, signing them here. Take your passion, make it happen. Let yourself be great until next time. Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. God bless.